Good morning, this is KHEA. My name's Gardy. It's just after 9 o'clock, and I have some guests in studio. I'm going to let them introduce themselves, and then we're going to find out everything that they have going on. Good morning. How you doing? Doing pretty good. My name is Joseph Marshall with Repticulture. What's I'm your name? Brittany. Brittany. All right. Welcome. And we have we have another guest that's in studio, and uh, I think her name's Maggie. Yes, we do. Can we get her, just like to show her on the counter? Yeah, and then? absolutely. So if you're watching on... On social media, you're going to get a, a nice little shot of, of Maggie. And if you are not watching and you're listening on 99.5 FM, we have Maggie in studio. Can we talk a little bit about, about Maggie? Who is Maggie? Yes, Maggie is um, our reticulated python. And the reason that she is special to us is she is a Kalatoa locale. Um, she comes from a smaller island um, in the um, area which reticulated pythons come from. Um, there's a term in... Um, well, there's terminology called island dwarfism, and essentially that's where you have larger species of snakes, which can reach in, you know, up to 30 foot, like the reticulated python, that ends up coming off of those islands for various reasons, such as flooding, and ends up on these smaller island chains where they have a smaller source of food. Often will end up um, feeding on mainly bats or small birds, which kind of cause the uh, growth of that animal to be stunted over time. So the belief is that these animals are genetically smaller and will stay smaller. Um, the reason I say belief is there's still some controversy with it. These snakes have only really been in captivity um, and kind of been researched and studied the way they are for about 15 to 20 years when we're speaking on like the super dwarfs and the dwarfs. So there's a lot of people that still say we don't know for sure if these snakes are going to continue to grow. The big argument um, is that just the overall girth and weight of these snakes is still significantly different from working with some of the mainland species. So even if some of the links aren't exactly accurate or something that we can't you know, say for sure will remain, um, I think there's still plenty of research to support that they're generally a smaller um, animal. So that's kind of what makes her special. So somebody who doesn't necessarily want a 30-foot snake could have a chance to own a reticulated python, which is a more intelligent species and a fun snake to work with that may be able to stay somewhere in the realm of a 10 to 12 foot animal. Very cool. So, okay, somebody hasn't heard of reptile culture. By the name, they can kind of assume what you guys have. So, I mean, what do y'all offer there? What do y'all have? So we have various types of reptiles. Um, we offer everything from, you know, ball pythons to bearded dragons, crested geckos, leopard geckos, um, really just any different various sorts of um, snakes and geckos. We try to focus on working with local breeders in our area. Uh, you had mentioned kind of the name. That's where the name uh, comes from, per se, is, you know, Repti culture, which Repti being short for reptiles, but kind of just trying to change the culture um, of keeping reptiles. Our slogan is a brand new culture of keepers. Um, and essentially what that is, is just trying to push for better treatment of animals, better care, you know, bioactive enclosures, a um, little bit more enrichment for the animals. Some of the more old traditional care was just kind of bare and basic. Um, so the bigger enclosures and the more um, enrichment we can give the animals, the better. Um, and just kind of teaching people the end results of what these animals are going to be. Like, for instance, a reticulated python where somebody might say, oh, that's a cool snake. I want that snake. Well, sure. But what are the repercussions of that snake? What is the long term, you know, 20, 30 foot animal? Uh, what are the cage requirements going to be? Um, that type of thing, um, you know, like Socata tortoises, for instance. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're they're a massive animal that end up 150 pounds, and they start out this cute little animal that people see in a pet shop, and it's like, oh, well, I can throw this in a 20-gallon tank. It's like, sure, but eventually this thing's going to need to have 
an entire backyard to be able to roam around in or, you know, a giant pen to be stored in and, you know, just kind of teaching people what to expect with the animals so that the animals kind of get better care. And I think they can live for a really long time, right? Yeah, Some of them? Absolutely. Yes. Uh, tortoises, I mean, for example, can get, you know, into the hundreds. So uh, they definitely are a commitment and something you're going to have in your will, you know, to pass yeah, down to your yeah. children. Yeah. I mean, yeah. What kind of, I was going to ask, what kind of commitment is, you know, a snake like this? And I guess that's pretty important if you're deciding what you want to be able to take on. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. And, and a snake like this, you're looking at somewhere in the realm of probably 30 to 40 years. 30 to 40 years. Yeah. That's a long time. And they all vary based, you know, based on the species. And, you know, whereas a bearded dragon is like eight to 10 years. Um, they all kind of just have a, a, a slight different range. But yeah, the, the reptiles definitely do have an extended life when comparing to say a mammal, you know, or a, a rat or a gerbil or a hamster where you're talking a handful of years, two to three. Yeah. So, so when I get into this business, what, what drew y'all to start reptile culture? Um, COVID happened and we were getting a lot of requests for like help with animals and stuff. Um, I had gotten laid off, so it was just kind of like the perfect time to really put ourselves out there and try to help people from the start of, you know, their reptile journey. So um, that's that's kind of where we started. Yeah. And just our passion for animals. You know, we kind of built a nice collection of animals. Uh, it started out actually when we first started dating. I had told her that one of the few reptiles that I had never owned and was interested in was a chameleon. And so she surprised me with a chameleon whenever I had come home from a trip. And uh, that was a veiled chameleon that uh, we actually just uh, watched pass away. She kind of entered the end of her life cycle. She was a female, and they don't live as long. They they have eggs uh, whether they're fertilized or not. So that process is really hard on them. Mm -hmm. About every 90 days, they're going to drop those eggs, and they're going to lose a bunch of weight, and then they have to bulk it back up. So they have an average lifespan of about three to four years. So we kind of watched her go through that. Um, and it just kind of built a passion for us and we started putting a collection together ourselves. Um, we did a lot of rescuing and, and bringing in animals that just weren't being taken care of or poor care. And that just kind of sparked the interest of looking out, re opening up a reptile shop, um, uh, kind of getting the animals out of our house per se, you mm -hmm. know, maybe justifying our craziness <laughs> and, uh, just kind of went from there. Yeah, what, what about you, Joseph? What have you always been into reptiles or starting from a young age or what? Yeah. So I would say my first reptile was about six, seven years old. Uh, it was a green anole, just your common green lizard you see running around outside. Um, you know, I set him up in a nice little enclosure and mom would take me to go get crickets every few days at the pet shop. And we had this lizard, uh, me and my stepsister for about two and a half years. And this thing was just, <laughs> I mean, I would take it to school with me. It would hang out in my pocket. It was just a, a really cool animal. And we ended up actually losing it at a park one day. We were out there swinging and it, I looked down, it wasn't in my pocket, you know, we're out there till the sun goes down trying to find this lizard. Um, that just kind of sparked that interest for me. And then after that, it was bearded dragons. Uh, my mom's rule was like no snakes. Like she still, <laughs> you know, doesn't like to get too close to the snakes. Uh, so I did bearded dragons. When I got out and got my first place, I was able to get, you know, my first ball python. And it's just kind of always expanded from there. That's cool. Is there anything on the dream list? Something that you haven't had that you would love to have? Oh God, there's plenty. Yeah, I guess the first thing that comes to mind, something I've always wanted, is a is a blue tree monitor. Um, they're extremely blue. My favorite color is blue. Mm -hmm. So you know anything that's blue, and it's it seems to be kind of rare in reptiles, from the uh, standpoint I'm that I have to step away for a second. Okay. The school's calling. Okay. 
So blue tends to be pretty rare in reptiles. You'll get some, you know, teals or you'll get some greens that look blue, but generally you don't get like an extremely blue animal. There's some that come to mind you do like a blue insularis or a blue tree monitor where you just get that really wow effect of blue. It generally comes from an island. Um, for some reason, animals that come from an island will generally have like a blue phase, uh, which is speculated because, you know, when you have water behind you, depending on which angles you look on an island, uh, that kind of plays into it. So um, that's kind of what, one of the uh, speculations for some of the extremely blue reptiles. Just like adapting and the survival or, or just one of those things, like mm -hmm. for them to be able to blend in. Right. Yep. You know, you you had mentioned a chameleon earlier. When I think of a chameleon, they always like, oh, they change and kind of adapt. Is that... Is that true for all chameleons or just some? Yep, absolutely. Yeah, they all have some type of a color change. Your males are going to change more. Um, and, you know, that's for several reasons. Like it definitely is to kind of blend in and, and to uh, fit into their environment. They also do it for courting the female. Uh, so the male will color up and try to kind of win the female over. And then the female will accept that male based on that. Uh, and then she'll actually provide color change to tell the male whether she's accepting them or not. Uh, so when you're like breeding them, the female will turn like solid black if she has an issue with uh, the male and then the male knows like, okay, stay away, you know? So, yeah. What can we learn from, from reptiles as right. people like it, some of those things, like it, reading the, the body language? Exactly. Yeah. So we definitely, we definitely have some of those signs as well. Yes. You know, uh, tell me, I guess you'll have a physical storefront in, in Friendswood, right? Where's that at? Yes. So um, right here in Friendswood, Texas, uh, we're actually kind of um, on the main strip on 528. We're located right next to Friends Pub. Uh, which is kind of a popular little pub in Friendswood. Uh, there's also Moreno's Mexican restaurant in that little strip center. Uh, so yeah, so we're right there on the end. Whenever you're looking for a, for a spot and picking the location, I mean, did, are y'all from Friendswood or what made y'all pick there? So we're actually from Alvin. Mm -hmm. um, Alvin has some really strict animal policies. They do not actually allow reptiles in the city of Alvin, which is interesting. Uh, a lot of people own them, of course. Um, even some of the people from the city come in and will buy stuff for their animals at the shop or whatnot. But the way that it's worded in the animal code is it says essentially um, like and or or dangerous animal. And mm -hmm. they changed the and to an or. And so, you know, it says like reptile or dangerous animal. So being a reptile is actually against their city code. So like uh, like. It's against the code to own one or have a shop that sells them? To actually own them in the city of Alvin. So I reached out to them to see if it was a possibility because sometimes whenever you have some older codes like that, they'll make adjustments right. to them and they had really no interest. They, there's a big misconception in the industry that kind of started with Florida uh, with invasive species. Um, I believe it was Allison where they had the big flood mm -hmm. and there was one of the largest research, research facilities there that were destroyed and lots of animals got out into the Everglades and Florida didn't really own that problem. They in turn blamed it on keepers. So there's a lot of people that believe that these reticulated pythons and Burmese pythons and iguanas and, and, and day geckos and stuff that are just running around Florida rampant or because people just let their pets go. And the sad reality is that that's just not practical. The amount of animals you would have to let go that would have to somehow perfectly reunite and, mm -hmm. you know, be able to establish a population. It's just not common. And that's why you don't see that happening in other large keeper areas like Texas. Uh, you know, we may have some, the brown anole that's invasive or, you know, there might be some, some issues going on, but it's not to the level in which Florida is dealing with it. And so unfortunately, some of these city officials have kind of fallen into that and believe that. 
Right. And so, you know, when I spoke to them, they were very much like, oh, no, that's how we end up with reticulated pythons and Burmese pythons everywhere, you know, and it's like lions and tigers and bears, <laughs> oh, my. And it's just the sad reality is that's not the case. So we reached out to uh, Friendswood and, you know, that's one of the difficult things about our areas is you can you can drive 10 minutes and go through three cities. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can change two counties. And so. It, that was one of the hard parts of our struggle is to like, you know, find where we can have the shop, what allows what, you know, where you can keep what. And uh, to be honest, we were really surprised that when we would start calling around to places and like we're all excited, like we're going to open this business. And they would say, well, what kind of business are you going to do? And I'd say a pet shop. And often we would just hear click. <laughs> and we're like, what? Why are they hanging up on us? You know, and, and so we do a little bit of research and talking to some friends and. A lot of times they'll actually put it in uh, the leases. Like, let's say for the big strip center we're in where you have friends. Had friends chosen to put it in their lease space or into their lease agreement to say, like, no pet stores in the strip center um, because they don't want to have a restaurant in the same strip center. A lot of times the owners or the landlords will abide. So Mm -hmm. you sometimes will have these uh, just issues with it. So we had a really hard time finding people who were willing to actually accept the store itself, which was kind of surprising to us. That was like that first struggle. Yeah. You know, whenever you're talking about the city uh, officials or like, I don't know, like not changing the code, it's it's been the the plot of almost every Jurassic Park movie, you know, but it's probably got a lot of interest from kids. And I remember watching Jurassic Park as a kid. It's like, these are dinosaurs. This is awesome. And kind of the closest thing we have currently is like alligators, re- these reptiles, right? Right. Yeah. Monitor lizards. Yeah. yeah. Are, you all a, are you all a fan of the Jurassic Park movies at all? Have you yeah, watched the new absolutely. ones? The old yeah. Ones? No, yeah. we enjoy them. I mean, like you said, watching them from a kid, you know, so. Yeah. It's always cool to see the animatronics and, you know, how far they've come along. Yeah. The, yeah. The, and how they can make a, a movie now. And it's like, this looks awesome. Yeah, it looks cool. Sure. Yeah. Or like the big talk right now is Avatar. You know, mm-hmm. we just went and saw that new one. Is it good? It is good. It's long. So what we did and I recommend is go to uh, Star Cinema Grill, get you the upgraded little seats, you know, yeah. with the recliner and, you know, get comfortable with your blanket. Because, I mean, it's like it's over three hours. It's it's a movie. Yeah. So, I never saw the first one because I heard it was so long, but it's supposed to be pretty good. But I have an issue staying awake in movies. And now that I saw (laughs) she pointed at you, but even now it's like now that they have like the chairs, they give you blankets, they give you all this stuff. Like I'm 100 percent going to be paying like twenty dollars to get in there and take the best nap (laughs) in a long time. It's like hire a babysitter, got the kids like I'm about to go sleep. I actually stayed awake. I think it's the wow factor, you know, just all the graphics and stuff. It's pretty cool. Um, You know, I've never was huge on the plots of Avatar. I mean, they're, they they keep you going, you know, they're interesting, but it's just the effects and everything that's cool. But I was always a computer graphics guy and, you know, played video games and stuff. To see something like that, that to know that essentially you're watching a video game that looks that real, it's it's pretty cool with yeah. all the CGI. Awesome. All right, so if you're just joining us, talking to Reptile Culture, have Joseph and Brittany here in studio. We also have Maggie here in studio. She went kind of back in. She was going rogue. You know, whenever a reptile or a snake like this is introduced to a new environment i know with i think because i've had like other pets like dogs and stuff like in studio they kind of feel it out do these uh reptiles kind of do the same thing i know with their their tongue i think they're like sensing or what mm-hmm. what are they doing when they're in a new environment yeah absolutely they'll explore around uh kind of take it in you'll see those like quick tongue flickers that's usually a sign like you're saying that they're kind of sensing the environment around them um, the personality varies a lot on a reptile some of them uh, tend to be a little just more scared, docile. You know, they'll kind of just stay in a coiled up position, uh, like ball pythons, for instance. That's kind of where their name comes from, um, is they tend to be kind of more scared. They'll coil up. Uh, so I could bring a couple ball pythons that would just kind of sit there like a donut on your table. Mm-hmm. And then there's a few ball pythons that get curious, and, you know, they'll go exploring around once they're comfortable. So it just kind of really depends on the personality. 
a lot of our animals, we do educational events, we do birthday parties, we do different things. So they get a lot of exposure. We have people coming into the shop. And so, you know, especially the ones in like the front, they're, they're kind of used to people. Yeah. So I have a nephew, he's five years old and he's really into two lizards. And so he got a little cage, you know, what are some tips for him, I guess, to be able to, to keep them alive? Because he hasn't been able to so catch him, you know, in the backyard or whatever. And he's like, hey, look, uncle, look what I got. And he's really into it. And I was like, I want to buy him a big old snake. I don't know if his parents would would be okay with that. But what are some things, because you had mentioned you had one that you caught. You had it for, I guess, over two years. You know, what are some things that he should do as a, as a five-year-old? And is he capable of that? Yeah, I mean, it's going to take help from the parents because, of course, you're going to need bugs. Um, you can go get crickets at, like, your local pet shop. Um, that's generally what they're going to eat uh, you can feed them different assortment of like roaches dubia roaches um, red runners that type of thing and then really just water supply i mean they're pretty hardy um setting their uh yeah and a heat lamp that's going to be the other thing um you're going to need just basically an incandescent bulb with like a heat fixture will be fine for them they don't need a ton of heat um you can set them up with you know you're going to get like an 85 90 degree basking area give them a little bit of climbing space and those guys low are, UVB because they are out during the day. Yeah, that's true. You will need a UVB lamp for sustaining them long term. Um, but yeah, send them over to Reps Culture. We can get you fixed up. And you have stuff that you would need, like, hey, this is a good home for them or some lights and this is what everything they would need. You, you would have it. Yep, yeah. absolutely. Yep, that's what we do. We sell the animals and the supplies um, and then just kind of educate them on what they're going to need and, you know, provide them with a care guide where they can go home and kind of feel comfortable reading and understanding the care for the animals kind of what to expect long term um you know we have people come in all the time it's like the famous thing it's like i was told a bearded dragon is extremely easy for Mm -hmm. for uh you know kids and i'm like well it just depends on what you consider easy i mean they require fruits and vegetables uh you know almost daily they require insects that you're gonna have to go to the pet store and buy um and then again like she was saying you know any any lizard for the most part because they are um out during the day and diurnal you're gonna have um uvb and heat and UVB is really the more expensive part of reptile keeping. Um, it's essentially a bulb that's generating to uh, mimic the sun, mm. and um, they absorb that, and that's what helps with their calcium absorption and kind of plays into, uh, you know, as they say, like reptiles are essentially powered by the sun, so they need those UVB rays. It's extremely critical for them, or they'll get things like uh, MBD, uh, which is a metabolic bone disease, uh, where essentially their bones just kind of go gummy. Um, and they, you know, they just, they can no longer function. You'll start notice their back legs can't move and such. So, um, that's definitely something that, you know, a lot of people don't realize. And so then they get these animals and well, people come up to us at shows all the time and they're like, oh, I bought this animal, you know, I just need heat. Right. I'm like, no, no, that's a tegu. You need a lot of space for that animal. You need, you know, heat UVB. You need a very extremely varied diet, uh, expensive, varied diet. Um, mm-hmm. and they're just kind of like, oh, wow. You know, so a lot of times, unfortunately, it's that impulse, and then it's like, yeah. now what do I need for this animal? So yeah. we kind of try to help people prevent that and just to understand kind of the repercussions. Sometimes even if that means you know not getting a cell, we can at least know that that animal is going to be taken care of properly. You mentioned at a show, uh, is that like an expo, or do they have a lot of those in our area? Yeah, they do. So we do a lot of herp shows. Um, you can check those out on herpshow.net, and essentially they have them kind of all over. We do a show in Conroe. Uh, there's a show in Austin, Corpus Christi. Uh, we do a show in Slidell, Louisiana. The Conroe show is uh, this last weekend, so the weekend of the 28th for January. So it's coming mm-hmm. up. Yep, and that'll be at the Lone Star Convention uh, Center in Conroe. Mm-hmm. Um, and they do them. It's a two-day show. You can come Saturdays and Sundays. 
Um, and uh, it's a lot of fun. There's a lot of different vendors set up in there, a lot of different variety of animals and supplies. And uh, you have kind of a mix of, you know, people like us who sell um, other an- other people's animals and, and uh, supplies and stuff. And then you have people that do breeding as well. Um, so it's kind of just a nice mix. Yeah. I was at the Lone Star Convention Center in Conroe some weeks ago. There's a boxing promotion called El Tigre, and they do shows here in Texas, and they had an event over there that we helped them with the live stream and some video stuff. Awesome. But, yeah, it's a, it's a good little spot. Yeah, it's super nice. Over there, I'm trying to think. Uh, there was this gas station, and it was, <laughs> they have, I don't know if it's a Circle K, but they have, like, hey, if you buy a cup or whatever, there's, like, a membership where it's like, and I was like, you can subscribe to getting a drink service. It was like, pay four ninety nine a month, and you have unlimited drinks. You know, bring your cup in if you prepay through the app, and then it's more if you do it in store. I was like, what a what a crazy and interesting, great idea. You know, you're subs- right. like, we subscribe to everything. You know, get mm-hmm. that reoccurring. Um, you know, the Netflix, the Amazon, whatever it is. It's like now you can subscribe to your drink, your fountain drink service. And um, it was funny because I kept going back. I was like, I should have subscribed. You know, I spent way more money. Right. You know. Yeah, that's what they count on. You subscribe and then forget about it. But <laughs> we were driving in the car yesterday. I heard an app. Um, I don't remember what it was called. But the whole thing behind the app was that you put in your information and it it lists out all the subscriptions that mm-hmm. you signed up for so it can help you cancel them. So that way you don't, some of the shit, you don't even realize, <laughs> or stuff you don't even realize that yeah. you signed up for. And so. It's like, yeah, I signed up for this Circle K drink subscription, you know. Two years ago, and I've been paying. You don't even realize it's coming out of your account. We had that happen with the kids the other day on uh, iTunes. I, you know, we approve everything they download, but I guess something we approved said free for thirty days, and so you know, I'm like scrolling through, and both the kids had this subscription going that was going for like four months. You know, I'm paying like eight dollars for a game they played for twenty minutes. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. So Apple's really great about it. I went in there and like requested a refund and went back like three months and said like. I didn't approve this game. And I'm thinking, like, they're going to come back and say, yes, you did. It's, you know, it mm-hmm. requires an approval, but they actually refunded it all. So I was impressed. That's awesome. Okay. Here's a, a comment that came in. This is from Lindsay. She said, you should get him a leopard gecko. I think talking about my nephew, what's, what is a leopard gecko? So uh, you want to explain? <laughs> <laughs> um, so they are a very, they're a smaller gecko, a smaller lizard um, from like Iran area so they're more arid drier species uh very minimal care as far as um they can benefit from the uvb but it's not something that you have to jump off whenever you're getting your setup so that is always consideration their food source is mainly um millworms and so you can buy those in bulk keep them in your refrigerator um the cares in in general, very simple. Um, they're more laid back species of gecko, so uh, you can handle them more often, and they'll just kind of hang out and chill with you. They're pretty cute. Um, yeah, look at this one. This one looks handsome. I just showed a picture. If you're watching on on Facebook or YouTube, then you got a, a view of that. They're yeah, pretty cool looking. They're a terrestrial gecko, so they don't really need a lot of climbing space. So they just kind of need you know width. Um, and like she said, yeah, super easy to care for, super easy to feed. Um, I always tell people that come in for bearded dragons, you know, the leopard gecko is a little bit easier set up. If, mm-hmm. if I start explaining everything on the bearded dragon and they kind of shut down on me, it's like, well, let's look at the leopard gecko. It's a little bit easier. Yeah. Um, like she said, you don't have to have the UVB. It's kind of a new thing now, uh, you know, from when I was keeping as a young kid to now. They're recommending UVB for every reptile. They've, they've realized essentially, just kind of like us, right? We're not nocturnal, but we can go out at night. 
Well, a reptile may be nocturnal, but they can still go out during the day. And if mm-hmm. they need that absorption from the sun or they need something, they can go out and absorb that sun. And so research is showing that any animal really can benefit from the UVB. It can give them, you know, some immune support or it can help to benefit something. Um, so that is kind of the push that the reptile industry is going towards. But then there's some animals like a chameleon that depend on it. And I mean, you have a matter of days to weeks before you're jeopardizing that chameleon's life, you know, so it's just a, a, a more of a stressed situation with that animal. Yes. Okay. Do y'all carry or, or work with any, and I'm guessing people have, sometimes will have like snakes that are venomous or some, do y'all, do y'all do any of those? No, we don't personally. Um, I have personally worked with venomous and had venomous in my collection, but we don't sell them under the business. It's just a lot of liability. And then again, you get into a lot of the regulation issues. Texas as a whole, as a state, doesn't regulate venomous beyond just needing a license. It's very similar to a hunting license. You go mm-hmm. down there and it's actually $20. It's called a recreational uh, exotic snake permit. You go down and pay $20 at an academy and they give you this license. And now you can own reticulated pine pythons, Burmese pythons, you know, African rock pythons, any of those invasive species, thanks to Florida, and then any of the venomous. Uh, and that's kind of how Texas looks at things. They regulate, they let the city and the local municipals, municipalities do your regulation. Uh, now, the city of Friendswood, for instance, you can't have them. Uh, Brazoria County, you can't have them. Um, so really, it just comes down to what city you're in and then what county you're in, uh, really, to be able to get around that. So that just kind of depends on, you know, where you live. Yeah, that's cool. Um I guess, you know, when I, when I think of the python or which, which ones, I mean, there's, I guess there's a lot of misconception because I haven't done much research, but when you think of snakes, it's like, oh, it's dangerous. And you'll see them like on Facebook groups, people post a picture like, I found this snake in my backyard, you know, like, what do I do? And people are like, that's a garden snake. It's a grass snake. It's harmless. Like, just let it do what it's intended to do. You know, how important, I guess, is it to, um, I guess, now I don't know about, I know it's in the name, like with the culture, but. Um, I guess inform like the misinformed, you know, the average person who doesn't know much about snakes and thinks like I need to kill this You know, is that important to you guys? Yeah, absolutely And there's you know, there's groups uh, like Lone Star snakes and and other people we work with that That's kind of their main focus. They'll go out. They'll do relocations I mean we do it as well in our neighborhood. We've mm-hmm. posted in all of our little groups and uh, I mean I even struggle with that with my own dad, you know, because he's been that's what he's been taught his whole life is a dead snake is the only good snake. Uh, I had him call me like freaking out the other day. The snake was going to like eat his dog and he kills it. And yeah. and it was venomous and sends me the picture and it's just a harmless little rat snake, you know. And so I'm explaining and teaching him. And um, so, yeah, we, we deal with that all the time. And it, it's just kind of, I think, luckily, uh, snake discovery and all these shows and YouTube channels and things that the kids are seeing. It's it's already happening in fast forward with the youth. It's now getting the adults caught up. That's the sad reality because we're at these shows and these kids are running up to my eight foot, you know, 22 pound Burmese python, like, put it on me. I want a picture. And dad's like <laughs> jumping back 10 feet, you know, so yeah. they're, they're really seeing that. And and when it comes to like you mentioned, like seeing snakes outside, the best thing you can tell someone who's uneducated is just stay away from it. The, the snake's not going to chase you. It's not trying to eat you. The snake is going to go on and do its own thing. Uh, you know, anytime a snake chases somebody, it's just simply the fact that the snake chose to go that direction and it happened to be your way. But, you know, that snake chose flight. It didn't choose fight. If it's right. going to choose fight, typically it's going to coil up and try to be, you know, demonstrative and, and act mm-hmm. to be more scary than it is. Uh, there's several snake species, like the rat snake, for instance, to where, you know, you can get it all riled up, mouth open, and it's throwing its head around like a rattlesnake. And I can literally reach in in slow motion and pick that snake up and not get bit. Because the snake doesn't want to bite you. The snake just simply wants to be left alone. It's a balk. It's just like trying to do anything it can. 
Uh, you know, they'll rattle their tails to mimic rattlesnakes. And, mm-hmm. you know, so generally that's all it is. They want to be left alone. If you leave that snake alone, um, most bites occur because they step on the snake. They're messing with the snake. They want to pick up the snake, uh, you know. And, and a lot of times it's like trying, you know, they'll say, well, why'd you get bit by that? Well, I was trying to identify it. Well, leave it alone. It doesn't matter what it is. You right, know what I mean? Yeah. If it just let it be, it does, you don't have to identify it. So mm-hmm. definitely. also a huge part of the ecosystem to maintain our rat population, mouse population. I don't know if you've ever seen a rat lay a litter, but there's anywhere from nine to 13 babies and they can do that every four weeks. <laughs> yeah. So um, it can get out of control real fast and rat damage inside your house is no fun yeah and it's it's not reptiles but it, you know with spiders that's the same thing because i was like man all these spider webs and, and then i complain about the mosquitoes you know mm-hmm. so yep. it's like it's a there's a balance it's, it's a it's working itself out right yep. and so, it's like she said not just rodents i mean there's snakes that eat specifically lizards there's snakes that eat uh insects you know um so there's there's it's just population control in general you know when we start messing with that and trying to kind of play god if you will then you there's repercussions to that yeah. Well, I look at, um, I got it real. This was a long time ago. I got really into the show swamp people, you know, cause they go, they have these, you know, you got your permits and all this stuff. And it's like during this time they're trying to control the population, but it's just interesting. You know, to me, I was like, that looks cool. You know, they're out there alligator hunting or whatever. It's like, and they're, their lives. I'm not sure how much of that show is staged probably like all, most of it or whatever, but I guess they're trying to control the population. Have you ever watched that show? Are you into that at all? Or? I haven't watched it. I've heard about it a little bit, but I yeah, I can't speak too much on it. You know how authentic it is, but I know a lot of those type of shows, reality shows, they kind of suck you in, and you start to realize they're more staged than you wanted them to be. Yeah, I sometimes wonder if they don't end up starting out more authentic in the beginning and kind of end up being more staged. You know, as they start trying to go whatever direction. Yeah, uh, the people want them to be. Yeah, even playing it up, you know, for the camera, and they are a character. Or they turn more into their character. Or something and then it's like hey I can get this done and we can be done filming you know or we can try and find those authentic moments so it's just a matter of who knows <laughs> yeah there was a show I used to watch like that called sons of guns and it was mm-hmm. like started out it was all about these this dad and his kids and like building these awesome weapons and then like the show turned into a full-blown like drama reality show with the daughter <laughs> dating and you know and it's like by the end of it I was like we don't even watch them build guns anymore you know what I mean like that's the side plot in the show so yeah they definitely sometimes drift aside I gotcha all right so if you're just not joining us we're talking to reptile culture got Joseph and Brittany here in studio we have Maggie here in studio as well I um, miss some you know I guess what's the long-term goal you know for you guys with the business um, you know, that's a good question. I think eventually we would like to have multiple locations. Um, I think eventually we would like to try to move out kind of out of the city get a little bit more land ourselves, gives us a little bit more room to expand. Um, we've talked about potentially getting the location here in Friendswood stable and then looking out like maybe kind of the Katy area. Mm-hmm. Um, I work, I'm a full-time construction manager. And so I work off of like 290. So I'm out that direction. Um, so if we were to open up another location in that area, that would kind of allow us to move out towards like uh, Brenham, kind of Eagle Lake area to be able to potentially get some some land and kind of expand out there. So that's just been kind of something we've talked about, but it's still kind of, you know, just early talk. Right now we're still in that. We just entered the second year. Um, so, you know, we're still in that phase of just kind of working all the time and yeah. trying to keep the business afloat. And, you know, when you mentioned shows, we do, we try to do about a show a month. Um, we're well, we just signed up for, I think, 15 in 2024. So we're averaging about 15 shows a year. 
uh, on top of, you know, having the location. So, you know, we load everything up and pile it up in a U-Haul trailer and drive to wherever the show is and, you know, set everything up and tear it down. And so it, it's a lot of work. It's, it's a lot of fun, a lot of hours. Um, you know, you realize when you start your own business, uh, you have all these things that you envision. And then when you get into the trenches, you're like, wow, I didn't really plan on this, you know. Yeah. Uh, always said like I didn't ever want to work a job that was going to be like you know seven days a week and you know long hours and here I am now in a retail shop you know and I'm like what was I thinking so <laughs> so y'all signed up for 15 shows for next year already no it was well, for 2024 actually Lori added four shows oh, oh, well there you go see <laughs> that's the crazy life I live in uh, yeah so we signed up pretty pretty far in advance you yeah know, that's another thing they have quite a wait list those shows are popular you got people that are signed up for them years in advance. Uh, so that was kind of the first struggle for us getting in, you know, setting up a new shop and trying to kind of get business to come to the shop, get revenue. And then we're like, oh, we'll just vend these reptile shows. No problem. And then it's like, oh, there's wait lists. You know, you can't get wow. in and get a table. And so we started out doing some of the smaller shows and kind of working ourselves up. And uh, we're actually for the first time at Conroe, like we were talking about at the end of this month, we're going to be in the main room. Um, they had kind of dabbled with doing a smaller room and just mm -hmm. some different things to get more vendors in and they've ended up reducing it down to one main room and then having like an educational room. And so now we're in that main room. So we're excited about it. And Are there any in Galveston County, any reptile, like what's the nearest reptile show that's like, even like to Alvin, Friendswood, this part of town. The nearest is the Pearland show that they just added, um, which I don't know the dates of. I know this past one was in November. November. Yeah, I believe so. It's probably November. November and then an earlier spring one, but that's going to be the closest. Why? Why? Why do you think that is? Just curious. City regulations. City. Yeah. Yeah, and then they and space mm -hmm. the venues having yeah. a big enough venue to be able to hold all of us. Um, it's it's what seven thousand people <laughs> coming through the shows. So yeah, having the space and then. Um, vendor space too like we get six tables so that you know that's six what eight foot tables mm -hmm. so yeah, that, that times a hundred vendors can get pretty yeah you big. need you need some space y'all have me this close to setting up my own reptile show and i know nothing <laughs> <laughs> i was like but yeah definitely check it out if you're interested in any of the shows it's herp show.net so that's h-e-r-p-s-h-o-w.net and uh, like I said, it shows all the locations, all the dates, so you can kind of see when those are coming around. Um, like I said, Conroe's a big one that's close to us coming up. And then there's the Pearland Show. Uh, and then what will be the next closest one? Other than that, I guess probably Austin College Station. Like Austin, I think a Stafford Show still. Um, they used to have Beaumont, but they don't do that one. And then something in Louisiana. We just got back from Oklahoma. Wow. So y'all so go, go. Yeah. Oklahoma's the furthest that we've gone. Okay. Yeah. Um, and that was really far. It was really hard. Oklahoma is <laughs> Oklahoma's far. Yeah. Yeah. It was about seven hours. Yeah. You know, for you guys, to, I mean, to go out there, what makes a successful trip for y'all, whether that's like networking, making sales, just spreading awareness? Yeah. Kind of a combination of all of them. Uh, you know, ideally, obviously, to be able to move some stuff, then you don't have to bring it back. Um, just kind of that extra revenue to help carry the store right now. Uh, you know, when we first started this, we came out real strong with the store i mean with the shows the store was still kind of picking up and then mm -hmm. when the economy kind of fell on its face about october the shows really kind of just stopped i mean we were sitting at some shows all looking around at each other like what happened you know yeah um the, sh the shop really too in october it was definitely like our, our deficit month and then after that it's just kind of crazy how it just picks back up and starts heading back up and the sh you know the shop's been doing really well uh, our daily average has gone up now we're just kind of 
hoping those shows will pick back up and kind of roll into a successful 2023. Awesome. I love it. Is there anything else y'all would like to share? Um, I think really other than that is just like I mentioned the birthday parties. Um, if you check us out at repticulturehouston.com, um, you can see, kind of just check us out and really see what we're about. Um, we do have all of our items online. Um, we do kind of push more for going into the store right now. I haven't like fully launched the online sales, but you can at least kind of see the catalog. Um, and I, like I mentioned, we do birthday parties, we do special events, uh, we do educational events for churches, uh, that type of thing where essentially you can come into the brick and mortar, pick out animals. Generally we do like one hour for 10 animals. Mm -hmm. We bring those animals out. Uh, we can, you know, focus more educational. We can focus more just kind of hands-on petting zoo, depending on what the age group is. And it's just nice to get the kids hands-on with the animals, kind of break some of those stigmas like we were talking about. And, yeah. yeah, and just kind of educate. So that's almost like, because I did see that on the website, and you mentioned with the birthday parties or educational. So if I went in, someone's having a birthday, hey, it's almost like a like a petting zoo, kind of let the kids look at them and, and stuff so like that? we or? generally do them off-site just because yeah. the store is kind of small, and then often they're on the weekends when the store is open. Uh, but we are actually doing our first in-store birthday party uh, coming up, and we're going to just do like the last hour. Uh, that we're open and then they're going to come in uh, there's a little coffee shop next door so they can do like smoothies and <laughs> and stuff for the kids and so yeah very cool yeah it'll be the first time we've done it in store that's awesome but yep yeah, well, we it. can go any you know really go anywhere we within do have a lot of displays so coming into the store is always nice because it is kind of like a little mini um petting zoo per se depending on who's there and how busy it is mm -hmm. we do pull out animals and let the kids really get that experience. Um, having three kids, we know what it's like going into a store full of things that you want to touch and interact with. And so we really try to cater to that um, for the kids and the parents usually appreciate that as well. So. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I appreciate you guys making time and coming in today. 